All right, good morning and welcome. You've got Dustin Atwood, A1 Custom Car Care here in the studio. Master Certified L1 Technician. What in the world does that mean to any of you out there? Basically, it means, um, you know, we don't have standards, if you will. It's not like we have to have a practicing license in order to be a automotive technician. So we take it on ourselves to go and uh, take a test every five years or multiple tests in different categories. If you've been into any of our locations, you will see all of our folks proudly displayed along with their current credentials on the wall. Um, Each one of our technicians, so you know who's touching your vehicle, knows what it is that they have gone and certified for. And this is an automotive service excellence exam is what that is. And like I said, the recertification every five years. Due to the industry changing very rapidly, you must continue to adapt and grow. And uh, ASE does that as well with their exams. I just recently went and reserted, I think, uh, seven of my 23 different categories that I'm certified in. I have my master in automotive and, and light duty and then medium and heavy duty truck master as well. Many other master certified technicians throughout our company. We have a very, very skilled, diverse group of folks that do a heck of a great job. And I'm so excited to be a part of that and come and share that with you each Saturday, which is kind of what we're doing today. So I always uh, assume everybody listens to every show and I gloss over kind of my background and credentials probably too often. So I need to work that in the show from time to time. We're going to talk about a couple of different things that absolutely affect every single one of you out there, whether you own a car or you commute however it is you commute, because there is some rampant theft going on, not only here in southwest, uh, I'm sorry, yes, northwest Arkansas, southwest Missouri. Um, people are, you know, it's it really truly amazes me of how hard people will work in order to not have a job or in order to get their next fix or in order to just be a piece of garbage. And what I mean by all this, and God forbid any of you out there, and I bet there's some of you listening, have had a stolen catalytic converter in the last, I'm going to say six months to a year. Um, I've seen and been in the business long enough that when the scrap and precious metal prices go up, we start having these problems. And I absolutely love fixing broken cars. I truly do. But I get zero joy out of fixing vandalized cars. Doesn't mean that we can't do it. We don't do it pretty much every day at this point. Um, But it's not the same thrill. You know, I I talk about how much I love what I do for a living and and I'm very blessed. And and to share that same like-minded thought process with so many different folks throughout our company that, you know, I don't get that same thrill and it kind of it, it irritates me and it it makes me mad even though it's not my money and uh, unfortunately that they're they're stealing but i want to talk about how we handle it versus a lot of other shops or dealerships when you take your vehicle there because we're doing our very level best to keep the cost down as much as possible and we're also going to talk about some of the prevention devices out there so you guys can be a little bit more informed Now, why are they stealing them? They have platinum, palladium, and a little bit of rhodium is basically the magic dust in there, if you will, that allow the catalytic 
in order to work correctly. Now, why do you need a catalytic converter? Well, essentially, back in the day when you had such a horrible smog problem, mainly out in the big population centers, uh, Los Angeles being probably the one that comes to mind most, but uh, whether it's New York, Chicago, you know, where you've got just crazy amounts of people, uh, they started having such a horrible smog problem. And you can look at kind of some of the photos, and there's many time-lapse um, uh, setups on the Internet that you can look at it. But as the California Air and Research Board decided, hey, we got a problem, they really are the forefront pioneer. And I realize the EPA gets maybe a lot of flack, and, and some of it I'm sure is is justified. But the reality is is you can see the difference of that smog as it hung over Los Angeles in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s versus what it is now. So there is some legitimacy to having a clean burning emissions vehicle. And it's not that I'm going to say that, uh, you know, we have to continue to live in this world, the our children, grandchildren, etc. So I want to leave them with a completely burned up, used up place to stay. You know, I want them to be able to go fishing and hunting and, you know, not have ruined or polluted it too bad. So there is some importance to it, and they have really refined it to something that works and works well. The The old adage that I'm going to cut my catalytic converter off and get more power and fuel economy has really gone by the wayside because they've done such a good job refining that technology. So that's a very long explanation to say, hey, the product or the parts that they use to do that have some value. If you look at the, I don't know if any of you out there follow the precious metals market, the gold and silver, um, you'll see platinum, palladium, rhodium on those uh, daily um, evaluations. So there's a, a, a monetary uh, number that goes along with it. And that's what essentially what they're stealing, unfortunately. And they're doing a very poor job. So on top of the compounding problem that they're stealing the catalytic converter, they're maliciously or ignorantly butchering other parts and, and pieces under that car that cost money in order to replace. And namely, it's more often than not the oxygen sensors and the wiring harness that go to the oxygen sensor is the 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 biggest casualty but i've had them to where they've ruined uh transmission wiring harnesses other components have they cut through a lot of times they're they're uh they're so incapable that they get under there they don't know what they're doing i'm sure hopefully they're afraid of getting caught i would love to hear some of that on the news but a lot of times we're able to patch up when they do a poor job trying to steal them so what i mean by that is a lot of times they don't get the catalytic converter, thankfully. And so because we have our fabrication background and we do custom exhaust work, we are able a lot of times to sew up those uh, cut marks or the damage that they've done uh, at a very minimal cost. So that is not something you find at every automotive repair facility is the ability to repair exhaust. More often than not, when you go to a dealership or a standard just run-of-the-mill repair facility, they don't have the tooling, the experience, and the training in order to fix those things. So what they do is they just order the whole piece and bolt it in there. And I'm not saying that that's not a, a good repair. It sure is. It is a very expensive 
repair. Now, if we have the ability to fabricate and allow us to reinstall components into the exhaust system without having to order those whole assemblies, uh, it's much more cost effective. And, and not every vehicle, depending on how they have damaged it, is that capable. But I'm going to say 90% or better. We are able to fix those or replace the components that are missing without having to order significant parts of your exhaust system. Because the more parts you order, the more parts that you have to replace, the more cost goes up. So what uh, typically we see is obviously the converter is what they're going after. The oxygen sensors are located very close in relationship to the converter. So sometimes they'll get one or two of those. Sometimes uh, they'll get the boss, which is the threaded fitting that it goes into. But this ends up to being a very large, unexpected repair to a lot of you out there. So what do we do about it? There are some products out there. There are some CNC aluminum shields for for specific high target vehicles. This would be a lot of my Honda owners out there. A lot of maybe even some of the Hyundai and definitely the Toyota, uh, various models of Toyota, but definitely the Prius. So if you are having issue with that, that may be a viable option that we need to look at. Secondly, there are some other products out there that are more universal. One of them comes to mind is called a cat clamp. I have installed a few of those. I see some things that I don't particularly love. Yes, it is a deterrent in my best uh, description or interpretation about how that works is kind of like a lock on a door. It is to keep honest people honest. Um, yes, it is a deterrent. Typically, they're looking for an easy target, but hopefully they roll under there and see some kind of a, uh, you know, like I said, a deterrent, something that makes them work for it a little harder. You have to remember these folks that are, are stooping to this level are absolutely looking for that easy money. So if you make it even a little bit hard or cumbersome to steal the, you know, the theft of your catalytic converter, they are hopefully going to move on and go down the road. Hopefully they don't just target your neighbor. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, but you need to be prepared and mindful of this. If you have motion lights around where you park your vehicle, make sure they work. Okay. Um, if you have, uh, you know, the ring doorbells, the ring motion lights, uh, and it doesn't have to be ring, but that's the one that comes to mind. I think a lot of you out there have those. Please make sure that that has a good, clear view of your vehicle. The, the best hope in this is that some of them start to get busted and the thefts start going down. We have shops in two states that uh, we run and and take care of. And this is not just a here in Missouri or Northwest Arkansas problem. It is across the country. So we need to do a better job being proactive. As as I was driving here today, there's a small business right up the road. Um, they have a lot of Econoline vans. That's another big target. I noticed a brand new fence with barbed wire where they have their, their vehicles impounded. So that tells me and shows me, hey, you know, fences hopefully will work. Um, and on this one, they went to large expense because they continued to get targeted, and that continues to be a problem. So be prepared and continue to be as proactive as possible so you don't have to come see us to get those taken care of. But if something happens, we'll do our very best to keep the cost down. We do need to step into a break. We're going to get a little more uplifting after that.
All right, welcome back. We're talking about hopefully how to save you some bucks. Uh, honestly, is a lot of what this show's about. Hopefully, it's being informed. Sometimes we've got to talk about I don't know, say ugly or crappy subjects about people being dirt bags, but that's kind of the bottom line. So just be mindful of that. If you are parking your vehicle long term somewhere, um, I know I've had them hit the Red Cross. Unfortunately, many of our churches in town. It just amazes me. That's the one, you know, when they come to judgment that I really hope that that shines. Is look, You stole from a church or a charity or, you know, how big of a dirt bag do you have to be in order to do that? But I digress. Just be as proactive as possible and be mindful of that stuff. Um, it is fairly noisy. Typically, when they steal these catalytic converters, there's a lot of, uh, you know, metal sawing is very loud. Uh, but that's kind of a, a problem. So we are able a lot of times to mend or repair instead of having to order the whole world in order to get your system back up. With that, and kind of a lot of what I spent my time this week doing, was a tremendous amount of fabrication work and extraction work. And that is also a set of skills that we have, and I probably shouldn't even be touting this out there to everybody, but... It is something that we do that a lot of folks don't do, and I have a lot of calls for it. I wanted to kind of explain a little bit. Um, I had a late model. Um, it was a 5.7 Hemi this week that I spent a significant amount of time working with. Um, so my Dodge owners, my Ford owners out there, my my uh, Chevy owners, they all suffer from a lot of broken bolts, mainly into the exhaust from the manifold to the head. And you will show up at a lot of different... Um, I want to say, you know, automotive repair facilities. And if they are not specifically equipped and willing to deal with those, you absolutely do not want them working on any kind of bolt extraction. And the reason that I say this is I had a call this last week. Uh, actually, Jason, my head tech at our Fort Street store, I'm very, very thankful for all that he brings to the table. Uh, but somebody had already attempted to extract some broken bolts, had drilled them, broken extractors off in them. And that makes that job for somebody that does do this much more difficult. And so you kind of run on two different uh, decisions once you run into a broken bolt. If you're a high-end do-it-yourselfer and you attempt that, you better be ready for that outcome. If you are at a shop that doesn't deal with that kind of work on the reg, it is definitely not something you want them doing. And I'm not picking on other shops. There are some awesome shops in this area that do a heck of a good job, but they're far and few in between for this kind of service. And so on the Dodge that I'm talking about, nobody had been in there and, and messed with it yet. It was extremely rusted and degraded. The gentleman was wanting to you know, put, put some, some money and resources in this to get it up to par, get it to pass inspection, and be able to drive it payment-free, which is a lot of times what we're talking about here in the show. That's definitely a philosophy that I share personally in my personal life. You know, a lot of times I'm, you know, basically restoring or reviving sometimes, if you will, vehicles in the mechanical sector back to putting them on the road where most people would have, you know, put them out to pasture and decided, hey, they're just not worth it. That's an easy mindset to get into until the price of used or pre-owned vehicles goes way up, which it is right now. If uh, you're looking for even new vehicles, they're far and few in between, especially for our GM folks. 
there's a, a huge deficit or a lag of new vehicle inventory. You can drive by any of our GM dealers and hopefully that lets up soon. So reviving or restoring a vehicle that is in good you know, shape as far as cosmetically, interior, kind of that kind of stuff, but just has some mechanical problems is kind of where we were at. So when I started with this, uh, typically there are two bolts per cylinder. So there were 16 bolts. Well, right off the bat, before we even got started, there were eight of them broke off into the cylinder head. Now, that's not something that is a standard repair. You know, if you look up any kind of the service information about how to fix this or, you know, what time this should take, there's no information out there for that. It is time spent. It's what uh, my dear friend Alan calls and, and, and we use as a non-routine repair or non-routine task. Bold extraction, it, there's no easy cut, cut and dry way to do that. Um, so we spent, you know, like I said, there was half of them broke off into the cylinder head. Some of them came out somewhat easily and the rest of them made me work for it big time because of the rust and just unbelievable, you know, degrading of the system. So we were able to get all of them out, get a, you know, the manifolds were already worn too far. When you have an exhaust leak for an, a, a, you know, a long amount of time at the manifold area, and you don't have the same equal clamping load, that heat cycling uh, does a couple of things. It definitely warps the manifold to where it is no longer true, basically flat to where it will seal against the head, and it will erode that manifold away over time. So it's definitely not something you want to run. Uh, consequences to running a, a vehicle with an exhaust leak is obviously carbon monoxide leaking into the passenger compartment, poor fuel economy as well. So I this has been years ago that this happened. I don't want to take you guys on story time, but that's kind of how I, I roll. Is I had a vehicle, and I believe it was a 460, if I remember right. It was in uh, like a motorhome or a bigger high you know, box truck, something like that. And it'd been to just a ton of shops. And, you know, early 2000s, the gas prices got up super duper high and they wanted the best fuel economy possible. And been to many shops, had all kinds of tune-up work done, lots of parts put on there, but still couldn't get the economy anywhere where it was supposed to be. So it showed up there at the shop and we were, you know, doing, you know, uh, that kind of, a lot of that kind of work, trying to get people as much, uh, miles per gallon as possible and we went out there and fired it up and it had a horrible exhaust leak right at the manifold and and that was sucking air essentially thinking that the system was running lean so it was over fueling the 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 engine and so that extra fuel that wasn't needed was why their mpg mpg went way in the crapper and we were able to fix that basic exhaust leak very easily after it'd been to many many shops and get them, you know, it's a 460, so it's not going to get great miles. But if you can get another couple of miles to the gallon, you have made a huge significant dif difference for them at $4-plus a gallon. And so that's really getting to the root cause of the problem and having the ability and the mindset not just to throw parts at vehicles, but to get to the bottom of what's going on. And even if it is a engineered problem, in these cars, we have typically come up with a solution, whether we custom build things in, in different situations or we repair it in a different way than what the manufacturer had in mind. 
because we want to make it as good if not better than the day it rolled off the showroom. That's our ability that we bring to the table. We we come from a custom fabrication and custom exhaust business. That's what it was started as. And we've been in business well over 40 years. So those skills as our original kind of founding technicians were still in the business after 20 30 and 40 plus years is really where I entered the A1 Custom Car Care family. The reason that they hired me and the reason that they were looking for somebody at that point in time, not quite as young as I once was, um, I think I was in my early 20s, 21, 22 when I uh, became a part of the company, is because they identified that those skills are not something that you're going to learn in a classroom. You're not going to learn it out of a book. This is on-the-job training. And as those folks that were absolutely masters of their craft were starting to get to the point where they're like, hey, I'm going to retire in 10 years. You know, some of them I was able to work with for a decade, some of them just a few years, five years. Um, But my main focus was to be paired with those folks so those skills didn't die. They were passed on to where we were still able to be those custom exhaust and fabrication experts in the Springfield Northwest Arkansas markets. Now, we have a ton of folks that I'm working on their second-generation, third-generation family members, and we take that super seriously. I have a a lot of you folks that are driving, you know, Lockwood, Greenfield, uh, Bolivar, Buffalo, Crane. I've had some folks as far as... uh, you know, tow their vehicle in. We've had folks move away and still come back and visit friends and family. And if they're not in dire need or their vehicle is not disabled, they have us do their service work when they come back to visit. And I take that uber service seriously, as well as the rest of the company and our team. That is a big deal. So having that mindset to get to the root cause Fix it, make it as good, if not better, is really what it is you're looking for no matter what service industry it is that you're dealing with. If you're hiring a plumber, if you're hiring an attorney, doctor, whatever it is that you're asking for that expertise and you're paying for it, you need to find out why it is that they do what they do. Is this what they absolutely love to do? Is this what they do just because they didn't have anything better to do? I talk with our our team, if not on a weekly basis, a bi-weekly basis, and we've got a little over 30 of us. And why is it that they're here? What is it that they want to do? What is it that they bring to the table for our customers? I need to know why they're here. And we talk about this. They're probably sick of me asking them about this, but that's fine. Because every single day when I get up, I have to make sure I've got a clear vision and view on what it is I'm doing why it is I'm doing it. Not that this is about me, but this is rhetorical, if you will, that I hope that you guys are doing the same out there. You need to make sure that if you're in a profession that you love, man, guard that with everything you've got. And if you're not, hopefully you have an idea about what it is you want to be doing, and maybe you move to that. Life is way too short to do something that you don't enjoy or that you hate getting up and going to work. Or God forbid you do it for 20 years and at the end of it you're like, man, that was a complete waste of time. You know, don't do that. Every industry out there that I know at this point in time need good, talented people that want to be there. 
If you want to be a landscaper, a roofer, whatever it is, those are awesome trades and skills to have. Go out and do it. There's nothing holding us back at this point in time. If I want to get into a new field and I'm committed to that, I guarantee I'm going to be successful doing it. Am I going to do it? No, I'm very fortunate to have found a field that I absolutely love doing and share with you guys every Saturday like we're doing here. That's what this is about, is being informed on what it is you're doing and being the best at it and enjoying it while you're there. The rest of it will take care of itself. If all you can worry about is paycheck to paycheck to paycheck, oh, this and that, this and that, your motivation's not right and you're in the wrong spot. You need to look outside and see really what you enjoy doing. So we're down at the bottom of the hour. We'll be back in a moment. All right, welcome back. You've got Dustin Atwood here in the studio, A1 Custom Car Care. Something we need to shift gears, uh, actually quite a bit, I was going to say a little bit, but a whole lot of bit, is the used car market. And I talked a little bit about this last week, but there has been definitely the value is there. Anybody that's in the housing market at this point in time, holy smokes. Hopefully you're in the selling side of it because you are going to make bank. But if you're unfortunately you're in the buying side of it, which is kind of what I'm going to tailor this segment to, you have to be informed in what's going on and what it is you're buying. So a lot of times in my experience, and this is me as well, I'm not uh, just sitting up here preaching. Um, one of those things as you look at buying or needing a new car, truck, van, SUV, whatever floats your boat, is the emotional wow that's cool factor of the car you're like yeah i like me a red one or i like me a black one it's got tinted windows it's got chrome it's got dual exhaust it's got rims whatever it is most of the time that's what we all use to pick a vehicle and i'm not saying that's wrong but i'm saying you cannot stop there okay you cannot sheerly buy a vehicle just because it looks cool or it's got an awesome stereo or it's got rims. All of those things can be added to a good uh, uh, mechanical and cosmetic conditioned vehicle. So you have to kind of like intentionally focus on back some of that. And I'm going to get into some specific things that I've seen over the years. And I've given some different examples at different points in time. But it is extremely costly if you don't control that emotional uh, surge or decision to buy that vehicle just because it has whatever it is that you're looking for cosmetically. Okay, Not that it's not important. I don't want a rust bucket either. Don't get me wrong. I had one in, uh, I think it was this week, come to think of it. It came in for exhaust work. It was a Toyota... SUV of some kind, pretty late model, mid-2000s. And we took a look at the exhaust, and it was pretty much rotted off. I mean, it was done for. We were able to fix it because we can build it, as I talked about earlier. So it wasn't super costly. It wasn't no big deal. That's not the point of this, this particular instance. But as we did our evaluation, it was a fairly new purchase as a new-to-you new to kind of thing. The frame... Uh, and it, you could not tell this. The body on this thing was absolutely immaculate. I mean, it was a good-looking little SUV. 
but the frame was Swiss cheese on it. I mean, I couldn't stick my fist through there, but I could stick, you know, my finger inside the frame in places that it shouldn't have been. And had I got very abrupt with it, it would have probably opened up some very large holes. And that happened this week right now. And I guarantee this vehicle, as nice as a condition that it was in, probably fetched top dollar. And like I said, this was a mid to late 2000s. I'm going to say like an 08 Toyota, which makes a great product. I'm a big fan of what it is that they engineer, put together, and build and support as well. But for whatever reason, they have had an issue on certain makes and models with the frame on their vehicles, and this happened to be one of them. It did not call, uh, qualify. There's some of you out there maybe like, yeah, you can go to Toyota and get a new frame. Some of those are out there. Uh, I know it's been a few years ago. We had like a 90s model Toyota and, and came in, similar situation, found the technical service bulletin or recall on it, and Toyota did actually buy the vehicle back. They didn't put a frame in that one, but I know that they have and they will. This one didn't qualify, so for this for these folks, they're pretty much just stuck with it. So we fixed the exhaust for them as, as cost-effective as possible and did a good repair. I was very proud of how that turned out. Um, and they're having to make plans. It is still drivable, but here's where my concern is, is that frame is structural, and they count when they do the crash tests ratings on these vehicles. They count for it and how rigid it is and how it is able to absorb and sometimes be able to collapse in that manner to keep you as the occupant in the passenger compartment safe. Now, I can tell you that frame is going to collapse in a different manner than Toyota designed it to because of the condition it is in right now. So that's something to be mindful. That's one instance that I've had just here recently. I've told many times, it's been many years ago, um, I believe this was a, a family, I think from the Branson area, they had uh, decided to buy a older, I believe it was a BMW off of Craigslist back then. They showed up when the come and go was right there in the same parking lot. It's now moved across the street from our Ford Street location. They paid the person cash money. They The person left. They didn't even make it out of the parking lot. Obviously discovered that it had a horrible fuel leak. And then came over and, you know, we figured out what was going on with it. But they couldn't drive it. They didn't have the resources to fix it. Um, and they were really stuck because they were from Branson. No longer would that person answer the phone anymore. It was it was a scam deal. It's a, unfortunately, you have to protect yourself and be ready to just walk away from a deal. I need to sit down, and I'll probably do this in the next uh, probably show because the used car market is so hot, and have my top 10 best and worst used cars to buy. I've done that in the past. I've had folks call in and ask about some of those vehicles at the store level. Um, I encourage you to do that. If you are one of our customers or looking to be one of our customers as a uh, repair facility, um, now I don't want a million questions to my service advisors. We do a pre-purchase inspection. I urge you to do that. But even before you do that, if you're serious about getting a good vehicle, Phone up one of the stores, keep it brief for me, and just say, hey, I'm looking at this car. Give me the lowdown of what you think as far as your reliability. And a lot of times, um, those are good cars, and we say, hey, we need to bring it in and do a pre-purchase to get to the bottom of it. 
But the other side of it, there's a lot of them that I know and our service advisors that you'll deal with at the front counter and on the phone know that, hey, that's not a great used car to buy, such as some of our older European vehicles. And I pick on them a lot, and I don't mean to be a hater. I really don't. If you have an older European vehicle that's in good shape and you have taken care of it, you're a rock star, and I love that car. But what happens is those are, you know, high-end purchases out of the gate. So they're designed and developed to be run on the Autobond over in Europe, which is cool. I wish we had an Autobond here in the States. I mean, I want no speed limit. I want good quality roads that you can just wind it up and let it go. That's just, sorry, I got down a little rabbit hole. Shiny squirrel. But... They're designed to be driven and handle on that. And the, the, the trade-off that they're designed to be a high-performance luxury vehicle means that they require more maintenance and service, period. There's no negotiating that. That is reality slapping you in the face when you buy an older one that has not been cared for and think that it's going to cost the same amount as your Honda, Ford, Toyota, uh, whatever it is that you own previously, and then I'm the bad guy when it needs a significant amount of work to get it up to par, and it needs that work on a very regular and consistent basis. So don't buy older European vehicles. Don't. If you want one, go and buy one brand new or lease it at 150,000 miles. That car's life is done and move on to a new one. Okay, so that's my advice. If you don't follow it, that's cool too. It's a free country, but just be mindful that it's going to cost you. Secondly, if it is a different other, you know, whether it's a domestic or Asian vehicle that has had some inherent flaws and design problems, I'm going to pick on my Chevy Cruze folks a little bit, my Ford Focus, uh, a Fusion, uh, what would it, Focus Fusion, they had that dual mass clutch transmission that was an absolute disaster. I had one of those in this week. Um, that's a very expensive repair on a, what I would consider an economy based car. Um, we would steer you away from those immediately and advise that you don't bring it in for a pre-purchase and spend any money and you continue looking for another car. Okay. My Chevy Cruze folks, Chevy tracks, uh, it's in some of their smaller SUVs, the one, four turbo cars. And there's a lot of you out there that have those. Can we work on them and keep them alive? Yes. Is it going to be a little more costly than other cars? Unfortunately, yes. That forced induction performance engine does a really good job. That's a fun car to drive. I'm not taking anything away from that. For a 1.4 liter, that car gets up and goes and gets good fuel economy doing it. So I'm not a total hater here. But there are some processes that we have developed to try and get as much life out of those as possible that you really can't get in any other shop or the dealer but if you're interested in that, you're going to have to call or come by the store and we'll see about some of the relief system for the crankcase pressure that it continues to struggle with. But we need to take a short break. We'll be back in a moment. All right, we got just a little bit of time, and I probably need to roll this up and, and put a nice little neat bow on this. I feel like I've talked about a lot of different things today, but I, I 
honestly, I, I know it's not that I just feel, but I'm seeing this in the day-to-day bays at the service counter. You guys need to know about some of this stuff, and, and that's why we do the show. So we're talking about the used car market. It is booming right now. So if you're getting trade-in, I had a, I was talking to a buddy of mine last night, and he, uh, you know, has got a you know big group of guys he works with. He's in the construction industry, and there's a gentleman he does you know runs around with, and he has been able to drive the last few trucks that he's bought for you know a year or so, and go in and trade them in, and get as much if not more of a value after a year of buying it on a new truck. So basically, he was able to drive it almost you know free for that year trade it in and get a new one because the used car market is so hot and the rebates on the new car stuff if you can find what you're looking for and the inventory is available are very very strong that you know it is a it is a seller's market I guess at this point in time is the long and short of what I'm saying so the importance of you being informed is so much more I had another instance that just popped into my head uh, I think I talked about this maybe last week, but a uh, vehicle was on Facebook or, you know, Craigslist, whatever. Um, they had wrecked the vehicle and, and really kind of was looking for a good deal. So they went ahead and bought it and brought it in for alignment. And this was a unibody vehicle, which basically means that the, the body is structural. It is part of the frame system. It doesn't have a traditional frame on it, but they wanted us to align it. And so once we got it up on the rack, the body was twisted so bad um, you know, I can affect maybe, you know, a quarter to a half inch, you know, a few several degrees of adjustment, but I can't affect inches doing an alignment. We have the latest and greatest alignment equipment out there and the guys know what they're doing with it, but there's only so much I can do. So when I had to make that call, you know, I'm like, hey, this needs to go to a frame shop. You know, that's not something anybody wants to hear. You would much rather have known that up front. And I caution you all buying that kind of rebuilder stuff if you're not you know, very versed in it because it can be very costly. The remark was basically, hey, did I just throw 2500 bucks in the garbage? I said, I, you know, I cannot tell you that. I'm not a frame guy. You know, if you can get somebody to straighten it for four or 500 bucks, I don't know what that costs. It may be way more than that. But I just know as far as an alignment ability, we are not able to do anything for you. I don't have enough adjustment to make that happen. So you don't want to be in that spot where you essentially threw that money in the garbage, which is what kind of the dialogue was, you know, on this particular vehicle, you know, the frame I talked about earlier. So what is it that you need to be doing? How should this go? Well, ideally, you do a little bit of homework, and I'm not saying believe everything on the Internet is true, but there's a lot of good information. So check several sources, get a general consensus, don't buy it because it's cute, Buy it because it fits the need and is going to be a good, reliable vehicle, and it's been well cared for, at least somewhat cared for. I won't even put well cared out there. At least it's had oil change once in a while. And you guys think I might be being a little dramatic, but I'm being absolutely realistic on this. You know, the amount of cars that come in 10,000-plus miles over on an oil change with very little oil in it is a real deal. You're buying those used cars, and the damage has already been done, so you don't want that. So you get a decent vehicle. You get it in. Either you're a high-level do-it-yourselfer or you got a friend or family or you're bringing it to a trusted shop, whether it's us or somebody else. I don't care. 
you're going to pay them somewhere between 50 and 150 depending on how in-depth they get on the pre-purchase inspection. Do they have a crystal ball to look inside the transmission, rear end, transfer case, or engine? No. So if you've got issues in there, unforeseen, you got issues. And unfortunately, sometimes you don't get to the bottom of that. But there are some things that we do and many other shops do, such as a relative compression reading. I will sometimes do a oil pressure reading on certain vehicles. Uh, I will look at some of the trans adaptives. I will take fluid samples and do a vitals inspection. And this is all varying on how in-depth we go on the pre-purchase. If it doesn't make it past the first level, which there are three levels at our company, then there's no sense of doing the second or third level because they go up in price. So if it makes it past the first level, which is you know a good entry level, hey, is the frame rotted out? Um, has it been wrecked? You know, those are all flags that we're pretty much going to put the brakes on almost immediately in that first stage. But then you want to go through, make sure performance of AC system, air conditioning system is in good shape because that is a high-end repair should you so need it in the future. Um, and do our very level best to get you as much information about this vehicle as possible before money exchanges hands. So if we find things wrong, which typically on a used vehicle, there's going to be something. Even at uh, you know, 40,000 40, miles and more, you're going to start seeing some repairs and maintenance that are needed on anything out there. So even if you're buying a pre-owned program car or something of that nature at low miles, that's really where I'm at. Now, have I seen some poor... Uh, wreck collision damage cover-ups on lower miles vehicles that we've saved customers greatly on? Yes. So just because it's low miles and new doesn't mean, or new, newer, doesn't mean that it just gets a pass and you buy it and you hope for the best. Just because it's coming from a big, large, reputable dealer, and I'm not picking on the dealers, I hope that doesn't sound like what I'm doing, doesn't mean you just buy the car with blind faith. So you need to make sure and do your due diligence. If it's a lemon of a car or a lemon of a car design, such as a few that I've discussed, and I'll get you guys a detailed list, at least a top 10 list here going forward, you pass on those regardless of who's selling them. If it makes it through that, you know, kind of it's cool, it's what you want, it's functional, that's a big thing that's important to me is I view pretty much all of our vehicles as pieces of equipment. They have to serve a purpose, whether it's a travel vehicle, whether, you know, we have the ability that we are able to take long trips with our daughter who needs some extra care, whether we can get all of our kids in a vehicle. Those are all functional things that I'm looking for in a vehicle. What's the towing capacity? Can I fit all the people in there? Can I get from point A to point B? And can I tow a heavy camper with it? So, those are all things that you have to consider. Maybe you don't have a camper, a boat. You don't care about towing. Maybe you don't have kids. Maybe you just want great fuel economy. So it's whatever floats your boat. For me, I've got to have a pickup. I do a lot of pickup guy things with it. So I couldn't be a car guy. It's not that I don't like cars, love cars, or you know think that they're cool and they serve their own purpose. Yeah, I've had some cool cars over the year. I'll probably build a few here in the next few years. But... They don't serve that purpose. So I want to, you know, in a situation where I'm that consumer and looking for a vehicle, it has to check so many boxes. It needs to be able to serve these purposes in order to get a return on investment. 
sometimes, like I said, your investments, fuel economy, dependability, uh, low cost of ownership. Those are all things to consider. So once you get the pre-purchase done or you do it yourself, then the negotiation comes in. So pretty much in a perfect world, you find a vehicle that fits and checks all those boxes. You bring it to a shop or do it yourself. Find out the baseline condition of the vehicle. And then you go back to the seller and say, hey, this is what I know about the car. What do you think? Now, I'm not talking if it's, uh, you know, $10,000, you offer them 2500 bucks. You know, maybe it is that big of a turd. It could be. But be realistic, especially right now when there's so many hot buyers out there that are just throwing money at things. People are buying everything. It's crazy right now. I mean, go into a pawn shop. There's nothing being pawned right now. Everybody's buying. There's no inventory. So you need to be competitive and realistic and tactful in how you negotiate with that. So ideally, you meet in the middle somewhere of what the cost of the repairs and backlog maintenance are going to be, and they pull something off the, the top end. You take that budget still. You didn't make that money. You just reallocated that money to improve the investment that you're buying. That's how those deals work. Now, if you get a car, honestly, that is in great shape and nothing has to be done on it but just drive it and maintain it, I could see giving them full sticker price for it because those are the unicorns. You don't find those very often. Every once in a great while, we'll see one come through the shop that has been meticulously taken care of, maintained, and repaired. So you're going to have to go through, if that's what you're looking for, Patience is going to be absolutely a virtue for you. You are going to have to stick to the program, not get discouraged and buy the next one that you look at just because you're frustrated with looking through it. On a average, you're going to go through four to ten cars that you're looking at before you find one worth buying. Don't be the guy or the gal that buys the lemon just because you are sick of the process because it is exhausting. I will tell you that. It does take time and effort to stick through it and finally get a good vehicle. But the dividends will pay off greatly. And what I mean by that is if you make the wrong choice, you're going to be in the shop many, many times for many, many hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars. And I don't want that. I want you guys to do it right out front and hopefully avoid some of those lemons. We're open 8 to 5 Monday through Saturday. I hope you guys have an awesome weekend. If there's anything we can do, please reach out to the shops. We'll do whatever we can to help you for your automotive needs.